Amen. We are today two weeks to Christmas. Now, how many procrastinators do I have in the room? Any procrastinators? I see some hands. If you have waited until now to start your shopping list, some of you are probably a nervous wreck. But for those of you that procrastinate and you're proud of it, you're not worried about a thing, right? You've got two weeks left to get it done. No doubt there's some people that are probably not here today. If you look around and miss somebody, some of them probably just felt like they had to take the day and go somewhere and get some shopping done. Because everybody knows there's nothing quite as stressful as needing to find gifts at the last minute when you're looking for that perfect gift for somebody that they can use. And in this Christmas sermon series that we've been in the last two weeks, we've already seen the narrative begin to play out. I have already dismantled the traditional nativity scene as we know it. And we talked about how the wise men didn't come to the manger, they came to the house. And we found that the first wise man kneels and he opens this package of gold and he presents it to not just baby Jesus, but to a divine king. And then this second wise man bows and he offers frankincense to this one that is sent to be the go-between, between God and man. And now this third and this final wise man approaches this baby, and I wonder if this thought passed through his mind. How many of you have a hard time buying something for people that already have everything? Let me see your hands. You're like, what do I get them? Somebody that already has everything they need or gets everything they need. And I wonder if the thought passed through his mind, what do I bring this baby, this king that has everything, what do I bring to them? What is the perfect gift for the perfect gift? Because time is running out and it's time for me to come and present my gift to him. And so we read the moment of his presentation. And there isn't a whole lot of detail given about it. We've read about it the last two weeks. But if you'll stand with me all over the room right now, we're going to read about it again this morning in Matthew chapter 2 going to be reading verses 9 through 11 in the New King James Version, and then we'll read the message translation. The word said, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him because these gifts are an act of worship. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now let's read it out of the message translation. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again. This is indicative of the fact that it was once over the manger. It had gone away for some time, but now it was shining again. The same star that they had seen before in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place at the right time. They entered the house and they saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. And overcome, they kneeled and they worshipped him. And then they opened up their luggage, and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Today, we're going to have the third and final message as we talk about these gifts with meaning. Today, we're going to talk about myrrh. 
If you will, pray with me and for me one more time. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for these precious people that are assembled together in your house today to worship you. Thank you for your word, Lord, that we have read today. I pray, Lord, for the next few moments you would remove every hindrance that would prohibit us from hearing and receiving what you want to speak to your people today. I pray that you would anoint these lips of clay, that I would not speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but Lord, this would be your word that would come forth today and that it would come forth in the demonstration and the power of your spirit. I pray that you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you are trying to communicate to us, your church, your people today. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise for what you're going to do in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, and everybody said... Amen. You may be seated. So there's not much detail that is given about these gifts. But we have talked about the imagination that accompanies Christmas. And particularly my imagination kicks in here as I began to study uh, these gifts that the wise men brought. And this third wise man has watched Joseph's jaw drop. When he sees the gleam of gold shining in the light, the first gift that was given, his appreciation and his excitement is absolutely undeniable. And his attention is fixed. He recognized the knowing and the understanding look of Mary when she saw the package of frankincense. Uh, first, that the second uh, wise man presented to Jesus. And she knew that this little one was not just a baby. Not, he was also not just a king, but she also knew that he was a priest. But now it is the third wise man's turn. And he steps forward with his gift uh, with apparent hesitation. He was reluctant not because he was an unwilling giver, but because he knew. And slowly and carefully, because uh, he, he takes the cloth that he's wrapped this gift in to protect it against this long and bumpy and dusty path to arrive at this moment. And the unwrapping brings his gift into light. See, I, I come this morning to talk about some things. Everybody likes to hear something positive, right? Everybody likes to hear something encouraging. Uh, there are churches all over this country that deliver nothing but positive, encouraging messages all the time. And when you, where you find that, you will find that people will flock to that in droves because everybody likes to hear something positive. Everybody likes to hear something encouraging. But can I also tell you this morning that I am a realist. And the Lord gave me some revelation this week, and, uh, and it's about reality, uh, particularly when I I was studying this message and praying on Friday afternoon because, can I just tell you that, first of all, maybe it won't uh, surprise some, maybe it will, but there is a difference between reality and manipulation. You might have read my post this week, but why do you say that, Pastor? Because for one, as a preacher, uh, when it comes to trying to convince people to accept Jesus and this free gift, I've been accused of being a manipulator trying to scare people into salvation. Uh, when it comes to being a leader, sometimes that has been an accusation uh, and, and in other areas. But one of the revelation that I had on Friday afternoon was, first of all, we find ourselves living in a society that cannot embrace or deal with reality. 
Some things are not manipulation. Some things are just reality. Some things are just the facts. Some things are just the way it is. What are you talking about, Pastor Sean? Well, I'll start with this. If you're living in a life of open sin and you die in that condition, you will lift your eyes in hell. If you are using and abusing substances in your life, you are physically taking your own life one high at a time. Can I get a witness? If you are fooling around and messing around on your spouse and you're committing adultery and uh, you don't realize what you're doing, but it's your fault if that reality smacks you in the face and destroys your marriage and your family. That's not manipulation. That's just the facts. If you are not where you need to be with God, that's not manipulation. It's just the facts. This word is black and white and in some places red. But it means what it says and it says what it means. Every word that's in here is not positive. There are some negative connotations to our consequences. Every decision, every choice that we make in this life has a consequence. Do you realize that? And that's reality. That's not manipulation. So please don't confuse the two and try to label something that's just reality as manipulation. The Word of God states some facts. And we see that from the very beginning of the story. Why do you tell us all that, Pastor Sean? Because as I was studying about this gift, you got to set the scene and think about it for yourself. The first wise man presents gold. Everybody loves to come bring in something that shimmers and shines. And, and, and finances is what it represents. Everybody, like, If there's anybody here that don't like finances, there's something mentally wrong with you. Right? Everybody likes that. The second wise man comes and he brings frankincense. It's an aroma of worship. It is, it is something that... Is brought to him because in worship we recognize him as priest, the go-between between God and man. But then the third wise man, I realized this week I wouldn't want to have been the third wise man. He unwraps his gift and it's brought into light. And probably he hears the mother gasp and catch her breath. It's not because she's excited. He probably hears a grunt mm, from Joseph. It's not because he's happy. He glances into the eyes of Mary, and it's as if she knows something that he doesn't. In my imagination, I see that her eyes, when she sees the gift, her eyes instantly fill with tears. Joseph has a momentary look of pain and anguish on his face because this third wise man presents his gift. And when it's opened... It's myrrh. I had never done a study before this, uh, on this in my life. All of my life, I have been in church. I'm 46 years old. I've been in church all of my life, and I've always heard about the, you know, the story as it goes. The three wise men, they presented gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Never done a study on it. Anybody, is there anybody else never done a sermon series on it? But I just felt led to do that. Is there anybody else in this house that has never broke it down before to what each of those gifts totally symbolized? It, that's what I thought. There would be a lot of hands all over this room. And so... He, he opens it up and it's myrrh. 
To some of us, that's not too odd after frankincense, because anytime we've heard about it, we don't really have an understanding until we studied it of what frankincense is. And then we don't really have an understanding of myrrh, but we just feel like the two go together. But I think it's our lack of knowledge on these items that really cushions us and protects us against feeling what must have been felt in that room that day when this gift was handed to this family. It would help us to understand and to know that myrrh was imported into Egypt. Do you know what it was primarily used for? Embalming rituals. And this practice had filtered all throughout the surrounding areas. And myrrh, as soon as you saw it, instantly was associated and connected with death and burial. Now revisit the scene after I've told you that. And you've got Mary and Joseph and the baby there. The first wise man presents gold. Oh, yeah. The second wise man presents frankincense. This would be equivalent to you having a new child. i got Michaela with a new baby on the front seat this morning. This would be the equivalent of you having people come to give you gifts, three different ones, and the first one gives you finances. Oh, that's nice because everybody knows it takes finances to raise a baby. The second one, they give you frankincense. They give you something that recognizes a go-between uh, and something that is, that is appreciated. But the third one, you open it up, and it's an infant casket. Think about that. Mary and Joseph sat there when that third gift was opened up, and it was like, oh, my goodness. The gold was celebrated. The frankincense, okay, we get that. But myrrh? But can I tell you this morning, that wise man didn't even know he was being used to prophetically give a painful gift to the mother and the father of this newborn child. In other words, while he was alive, this wise man was not only pointing to, but he was preparing Mary and Joseph, and more importantly, preparing Jesus for Death. This gift of myrrh prophetically points to Jesus' death. Now do you see why? As soon as Mary's eyes saw the gift, she thought, oh, she remembered what the angel said. He shall save his people from their sins. If gold was a gift for a king and frankincense was a gift for a priest, then the wise man's, this third wise man's gift was a prophetic gift gift presented to a Savior. Is anybody glad this morning that we have a Savior? This was a gift for the one who it would be later said in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 that he was the Lamb who was slain from or before the foundation of the world. Jesus was presented myrrh around his birth because he was in fact born for the sole purpose of dying. See, the truth that we can miss at Christmas is if we're not careful, and Abby's already talked about it just a little bit, but we get caught up in this great gift of his birth, and we forget about the most important gift was his death on a cross. We can't celebrate one without at least acknowledging the other. I just told you a moment ago, I've been in church 46 years Ever since I was born, my mom has had me in church. And we've always, on Easter, we celebrate the resurrection. 
And on Christmas, we celebrate the birth. But we rarely ever intertwine the two. But can I tell you this morning, we cannot celebrate the birth of Jesus without acknowledging the real reason that he came. To be our king and priest, you see, only required him to be born. But to be our savior required him to die. Scripture informs us that the forgiveness of sin requires blood. Can I tell you this morning that it would have been our blood if it had not been for a Savior who was willing to embrace this gift of myrrh and know that he would one day die in my place and in your place. He was the perfect lamb. He was the perfect sacrifice. But there must be a sinless for sinful exchange take place. And Jesus was born to be our Savior. This third wise man in some way, whether we can fully comprehend it or not, he approached Jesus as Savior. So in a very real way, the Christmas story reveals to us that Jesus was preparing for death the entire time he was alive. That leads me to a very personal question for every single person in this room today. Have you prepared for your death while you're still alive? See, could it be that during our lifetime, we fixate so much on living that we fail to stop long enough to prepare for dying, to make preparation. See, here I go again with that negative stuff. But this book says, it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. If you die without making preparation first, you'll miss heaven. The most important thing that you could acknowledge or recognize this Christmas season is to offer your own personal gift of myrrh and recognize him and acknowledge him as not just the savior of the world, but your savior. Is there anybody out there this morning that's thankful he is your savior this morning? Because here's the reality, folks. If we simply celebrate his birth, see, we have this thing in church that uh, I like to call, most preachers call CEOs. They're not business people. They're people that show up on Christmas and Easter only. Who knows what I'm talking about? Now, yes, we'll have church on Christmas Day at 2 o'clock, but you might not see several of them then. But if you're here at the 11 o'clock, particularly probably next Sunday, you'll see a lot of them. Faces that claim this church as home and that we love dearly, but don't see their faces very much. Why did you say all that, Pastor? I'm concerned about a church world that can simply just celebrate his birth, make the same mistake that the multitudes make. That's celebrating Christmas without ever fully embracing Christ. Should you recognize and approach him as king, pastor? Absolutely, you should. You need to recognize his authority 
and his dominion in your life. Should I recognize and, and acknowledge him as priest? Pastor, yes, absolutely. You should acknowledge him as priest because you and I need to go between, between us and the Father. But until you recognize and embrace him as Savior, he can never truly function as your king and your priest. Let me say that again. Until you fully recognize him as your Savior, he can never truly function as your king and your priest. See, a lot of people want him to be the go-between. They want to pray anytime something goes wrong. God, you're supposed to fix this. A lot of people want him to be the king. They want him to be in charge. God, you're in charge of this. But until you acknowledge him completely as your savior, he can never function as your king and priest. The Bible tells us there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. But at the name of Jesus... See, I'm thankful this morning. A lot of people believe in different names. A lot of people, there's atheists that'll say, oh, there's nothing to that. There's no doubt some people sitting in this room right now, this morning, you're here for some other reason other than your own personal relationship with Jesus. And you, do, you say when worship gets a little excitable, oh, there's no point in that. You say when the preacher's preaching, oh, I don't have to go. I don't have to go to the altar and pray. I believe. I don't have to do all that stuff that he, there's no point in that. You say when people get uh, concerned and we have a prayer line or pray over a prayer cloth, there's no, a lady called me this week, or not this week, I'm sorry, this month, that has been a part of her church in this town for many, many years, and she wanted a prayer cloth, and they, basically her pastor told her, no, there ain't no sense in that. So she called me and said, Pastor Sean, will you do a prayer cloth? I said, you better believe we will. Come on down here and we'll anoint it and pray. Why are you saying all that, Pastor? I'm saying we got a church world full of people that celebrate the birth of Jesus. And then they want to celebrate the resurrection. They want to acknowledge that he's a king. They want to acknowledge that he's a priest. But some way, somehow, the church has failed to communicate until you acknowledge him as your Savior. He will never function as king and priest in your life. And somebody has to love people enough to tell them the truth. It's going to get quiet now. You can't do anything you want to do and call heaven your home. You can't live any way you want to live just because you hide it well. Well, glory. You can't participate in things that God frowns upon you participating in and feel like you're justified because we don't know about it. Are you with me this morning? Let me say it again. Until you acknowledge him as your savior, he cannot function as your king or your priest. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. And interestingly enough, not only was Jesus presented myrrh at the beginning of his life, but also, if you read ahead in scripture, at the end of his life. See, the man, Jesus, dying on the cross for my sin and your sin, he was also offered myrrh. You may not realize that. You have to study it to see it, but the Roman soldiers offer 
this suffering Savior a sponge dipped in wine and myrrh. But he refuses. So why did he embrace and accept this gift early in his life, but yet decline this same substance at his death? And I'm going to tell you why this morning. On the cross, Jesus refuses because this myrrh and wine combination, you know what it was used for? It was intended to reduce and numb the pain. That's what it was for. It was offered up to criminals that were dying on the cross for punishment because it would prevent them from going into shock in their bodies. But we, we find when we study this that Jesus refuses that combination because he purposefully and intentionally wants to feel every moment of the pain, every moment of the torture, every moment of the punishment because that's the only way he could bear my sin and your sin. So he refused it so that he could endure it. Thank God we don't have a Savior that has to numb the ugliness of our sin. But yet he comes to fulfill his mission. And that's to bear it all so that he could save us. Now I don't know about you. But I'm not always perfect. Is there anybody else in the room like me this morning? Some of y'all are hypocrites. I think there's a lot of people in this room like me this morning. Sometimes there's ugliness to me. And I'm not just talking about when I look in the mirror. Sometimes there's things in me or that get in me that are not pleasant to look at. I'll tell you, in the old church, they used to pray and they'd say, Lord, turn the searchlight on. How many's ever heard that? I want to tell you something. If you ask the Lord to turn the searchlight on, nine times out of ten, you're going to see something you don't like. Nine times out of ten, you're going to see something in you that you don't want to be there. But I'm so thankful that we don't serve a God that has to numb himself to the ugliness of our sin. It doesn't matter how deep you go, how far you've gone, how long it's been, who you've been with, and what you've done. His grace and his mercy is all sufficient and all forgiving and covers all sin. But if not for this Savior, we would live in the constant shadow of fear, of the punishment, and eternal separation from God. But on that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be as in Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. I love what it says here. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. And with His love, He will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you. With joyful songs. Listen to me this morning. Without a Savior, there is no salvation. But with a Savior, thank God there's no stain of sin that's left upon us. So I challenge you this Christmas season. Approach Him as Savior.
Maybe you're here and you're celebrating Christmas, but you just haven't had a myrrh moment. And I challenge you this Christmas season to approach him as the Savior that he is. Maybe you are here. And maybe you've encountered Jesus as Savior years ago. And maybe like me, sometimes you have a tendency. And like Abby mentioned this morning, you focus on the gold and the frankincense things. Because everybody likes the shiny. Everybody likes the sweet smelling. But perhaps this Christmas season, we need to stop, take a moment, and reflect on this gift of myrrh. See, all three of these gifts were representative of worship that was offered to Jesus. The Bible said they kneeled. They presented their gifts before him. They knelt and they offered gold, saying, it's not just a baby, but he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then the other one knelt and he offered frankincense in worship saying he's not just a baby and he's not just a king but he's the go-between between God and man and they acknowledged him as priest but that third one had to come to the place where he acknowledged one of our needs all of those gifts represent needs but he acknowledged the gift the need that we all have for a Savior. If not for a Savior, there's an old song that we used to sing in church. It's called, Had It Not Been. Anybody know it? Had it not been, then go ahead and come to the music, for a place called Mount Calvary. Had it not been for the old rugged cross. Had it not been for this man we call Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. I pray this season that we don't just celebrate, and I'm sorry that I'm getting emotional. I did this at 8.45 too. But that we don't just celebrate the excitement of a baby born without focusing on the real reason that he came and he took on the robe of flesh and blood as the deity of God and he entered the world of man. He was born for the sole purpose of dying so that you and I never have to die see that's what is so awesome about death for a Christian it's nothing more than a doorway did you hear me I said it's nothing more than a doorway if you know Jesus you don't have to be afraid of death it's nothing more than a doorway when you walk through that doorway when I walk through that door I've left the lobby and I've entered the sanctuary when you go by way of death You've left this world, and if you're a believer and, a, and you've been saved and experienced Him as your Savior, you'll enter into the glory. 
Paul said to be absent from this body just like that is to be present with the Lord. We don't have to be afraid of death. It's nothing but a doorway to transition from this world into the next. And I don't know about you. Now look, I'm not planning to die tomorrow. But if I do, do you ever stop to think about? Do you ever stop to think about the comparison of this life to what that life is going to be? I know one thing. If I do die before next Sunday, you don't have to sit around and cry. I know people that really love me will. Probably some of y'all won't. That's okay, though. You don't have to. Because reality is, I'm back to reality again. I'm going to be a lot better off than you are. If you stop to think about it. But I pray that as we go through this Christmas season, as we're giving and exchanging gifts, we don't just clichéically say Jesus is the reason for the season. But we stop and we recognize if it wasn't for this baby born in a manger, none of this would be possible. I don't know about you, but yes, I need him as priest. Yes, I need him as king. But I also need him as savior. I need him as Savior first because until he's my Savior, he can't function as the other. If you'll stand with me all over this room, that's what I've tried to communicate with you the last three weeks. And I pray that we could fixate on that this Christmas season. Next Sunday, in both morning services, we'll be taking communion. So you've got an entire week between now and then to fixate on that, to dwell on that sacrifice. I don't want communion next Sunday to just be take the wafer and drink the cup. I want us to truly remember if it hadn't been for the baby who became the man that gave his life, we would never, ever be able to be saved. So if you're here this morning and you haven't never approached him as Savior, I want to tell you, don't put him off another day. Why don't you approach him as Savior today? I think the worst thing would be for people to sit through these messages and walk out those doors and never acknowledge him. But I want to tell you, if you've never accepted Jesus before in your life, I promise you there's an entire room full of people here this morning that will testify with me to you that Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. For those of us who have accepted Him, i got to ask you this morning, how are you approaching Him today? See, every time we enter those doors, this book tells us we're supposed to enter the gates with thanksgiving and come into His courts with praise. In other words, we're supposed to come bringing our gifts our gold, acknowledging him as king, our frankincense, acknowledging him as priest, and our myrrh, acknowledging him as savior. How are you approaching him today? What gift did you bring? 
See, that's not just something that the praise team and the band or the leadership team are supposed to do. Are you with me? That's something every single person in this room should do. Come through those doors every Sunday bringing a gift. God, this is what I came to bring you today. So I challenge you this morning as we open this altar, I challenge as many that will to join me here today and revisit the gifts that we bring to Him in our feeble attempts to bring so many wonderful things. I want to pray that we make sure that we're bringing gifts to Him that He's looking for, gifts with meaning. So today, we bring Him myrrh. We remember the reason He came. We acknowledge Him as Savior in our lives and we bring everything that we carry to Him that needs redeeming. There's no shame in needing redeeming. There's no shame in bringing Him what needs forgiven. The shame is when we have the opportunity and we walk out or we walk away. So today we bring Him those things that need forgiveness, those things that need His grace. How long has it been since you've pushed past your mess? I'm thankful I'm not the only one sometimes that has to push past my mess. I push past my mess on Friday afternoon until the Lord dropped this in me and I began to weep because I'm so thankful. Every time I need to, I can approach Him with the gift of myrrh and say, God, today... I need your grace. Today, I need your mercy. Did you do some kind of major sin, Pastor Sean? No. The devil knows he can't get me with foolishness. But don't you never doubt. He can still get you. Sometimes. Not with out and out foolish things. But he can still get you. To feel a way you shouldn't feel. To think something you shouldn't think. And some of you more than me to say things you shouldn't say. There's grace there too though. Angie's mama always said there's cuss words and there's by words. Unless you take the Lord's name in vain, you're just saying a by word. That's what she used to say. I don't know if she's right, but if you're living by it, I hope to see you there. Amen. But sometimes you say things you shouldn't say. I didn't do that. Maybe. I didn't say any curse words or by words. Maybe I did say something I shouldn't have said. I don't know. But I'm so thankful. So thankful that we can acknowledge Him for everything that He is. He was born for the sole reason of freely giving His life so that you and I could receive salvation.